The eyeball, the organ responsible for the majority of a sighted person's perception of the world, is a little sack of jelly. Today on YOY, pretend it's a non-fiction reading podcast with writer Sandra Allen. We'll hear about the guy she dated while getting her MFA in Iowa. He was redheaded in a woman's rain jacket. Kind of looked like David Letterman. Oh, I thought I'd made a sort of like great esoteric pick, you know? We oh. all think that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. My friend Sandy and Holly joined me in studio to discuss that guy your friends warned you about. You can't stop trying to make it work. Ho oh, hum, going to his house. We are dating again. And he was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, ah! and I had to like walk away and be like, okay, that's it. That's it. That's it. Delete his number. Delete his number. Go to my house. Be like, all right, cool. Fine. That's okay. And then like cry a lot. You know, it, it's not neat. It's not neat or pretty. Can going through all that crap make you better at dating? Into that Would you lose an eye over it? Space. If the bleeding doesn't stop, if the pressure within the eye rises beyond a point, the whole thing can burst. Aqueous humor oozing down your face, I suppose. Stay with us. My heart is beating. Be like an This is YOY. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Today on the fiction podcast, just kidding, it's a dating podcast. We're not a fiction podcast. And this is an essay, not fiction, to be clear. (laughs) Insult. Okay, but we're going to do a blatant copy of the New Yorker fiction podcast today with writer Sandra Allen. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Sandra. What are you going to be reading for us here today? I'm going to be reading an essay called The Treehouse Song. Are you sure it's not fiction? I am very positive. Um, this is a real story from your life, from a time is. when you were living in Iowa. In what Iowa. were you doing in Iowa there? I was getting my degree in writing. At the Iowa Writers Workshop. The Iowa Nonfiction Writing Program, the MFA in Nonfiction, which is technically not in the same building as what we commonly refer to as the workshop. Oh. <coughs> Lena Dunham. <coughs> I was just going to wonder if like, you ran into Hannah. Han- I was no, gonna, and, I was I, gonna, and I've, I've requested that everyone yeah. just uh, sedate me until the season is done so that I don't have to watch what a mockery she makes of that fair city. Iowa's incredible. We should all move here and start the revolution. I get carded all the time and no one ever thinks I'm legal, like, in the bedroom. What is the story about? A really privileged girl deciding that she's just gonna let someone abuse her. And it's very much this character. I've 100% moved on. I'm totally at one with my body and my surroundings. It's okay, it's just I've seen a lot of things. I'm 25 years old and I'm here to help you, all right? (laughs) But she didn't technically tape there, so all the imagery. She didn't tape on campus. Yeah. uh, Because the university wouldn't let her, which I think is also boneheaded of them, but, um, I, I'm not looking forward to all the think pieces about MFAs starting back up again because, God, they were annoying the first time around. But, yeah, I was getting my MFA and, uh, you know, doing shit like falling in love and getting my heart broke. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, <coughs> my boyfriend, uh, went to that program and he So says, he's a poet. He, oh, yeah. At the workshop. He's a poet. That's a profession. What are, you, what are you saying? <laughs> Nothing. I like your boyfriend. He's a lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 
wait, but no, what are you saying? <laughs> uh, he's a poet. That's all I'm saying. He's a poet. So when he describes dating there, it's almost like it's a, you know, tiny enclosed universe of like possibilities. So we're going to hear about a romance you had there. But like, do you want to describe like the scene, what it was like to date in this town? Yeah, I've, I've reflected on this uh, somewhat since I've moved to New York where the scene is quite different. I'll tell a story. A friend once joined OkCupid while we lived in Iowa City, and the only person it matched her with was a guy in our program who we were 99% certain was a closeted gay man. And she was like, so that didn't work. And we were like, yep, online dating sure seems pointless. I mean, really, most of the people I know in Iowa City who are dating sort of like, there are different friend groups, but like once you know a large group of people, you'll sort of meet someone and you'll start dating that person pretty naturally. And like the the amount of time between like meeting and like getting a lease together can be very short because there's sort of this larger social endorsement of the couple that has occurred because there's a very small social scene that surrounds it. And there's also a lot of fluidity in terms of like people breaking up and sort of like doing that that tango, changing partners and stuff. But it, it feels much less complicated in some senses than the sort of more regimented New York, you know, internet supported dating lifestyle that I've, I've now ingratiated myself to. So in Iowa, anyone that you could potentially date, you've probably already met yes, very quickly. For sure. Yeah. You, and, and if you start dating someone within that circle, everyone's going to know about it. Everyone knows. And then everyone will kind of be like, here's a deal. And and then you can either heed their advice or, as I will in this essay, not heed their advice. Um, and you'll immediately sort of be a couple in the face of most of the people you know. Hmm. All right. Let's hear the Treehouse Song by Sandra Allen. The night we met, he wore what appeared to be a women's rain jacket. He looked like Conan O'Brien and was the loudest man in the bar. After he slept in my bed, we spent a manic, chilly Easter weekend together. Over hamburgers and beers and in one another's bedrooms, we talked. We talked as if silence would be both our ends. Our talking felt like puking, like good puking, the sort that pours from you with a force that is surprising and pleasing and threatens to overfill the bowl. After that weekend and after each subsequent night together, I walked home exhausted and tottering in my heels. Iowa City was small enough that when we weren't out together, we ran into each other anyway. Sometimes I'd guessed as to where he'd be and found him or didn't. Other times I swear I did not intend to find him and heard his brassy voice, his imposing laugh cut across a restaurant or a street. And when that happened, when I realized I was nearby him, globs of sweat dripped down my torso. I'd been in love before, but it never felt like this. That meant something, I reasoned. So when he sometimes said he didn't want anything serious, I didn't entirely care. That day, we were supposed to go camping at threatened rain. 
all day I prepared. I drove over to the cheap grocery store and bought hot dogs and buns and cherries and the makings for s'mores. I went to the pharmacy across the lot for a bottle of Zinfandel and beer and cigarettes. He smoked Marlboro Reds and then to the gas station for firewood and charcoal and ice. He didn't know how seriously I made all these decisions, contemplating whether he'd prefer watermelon or cherries. Watermelon or cherries. He was chatting with some woman as I pulled into the parking lot. I didn't know her, but presumed she was part of his PhD-related world of committees and panels and things. I sometimes wondered whether he loved someone else, whether that was the problem, or if he was gay. I sometimes imagined months or years in the future, running my hands through his strawberry hair and telling him, I used to hope you were gay because it'd be easier to handle than you not loving me, and he'd laugh. I rolled down the window. It had begun to drizzle. He was just joking with her, I could tell. In the last months, I'd been realizing that a lot of the things I liked about him, his enthusiasm, his intensity, his wit, were things people didn't like. He's an asshole, my friends had said to me. Or they'd repeat his name incredulously when I said it. Or they'd tell me stories about this bad thing he'd done, that woman he'd hurt. Other people, I told myself, did not understand him in the way that I did. Finally, he laughed goodbye to the woman and got in my passenger seat. Whenever he was near me, I experienced a sort of relief, like that first inhale when you've finally given in and quit quitting smoking. Who is that? I asked, and he explained who she was. I had to turn on the windshield wipers before we were even on the highway. At least, I reminded myself, the tent had a rain fly. Sweetie, he said. It was a thing we did, calling each other sweetie, but with a tinge of irony because we weren't actually a couple. Are you okay? The windshield wipers slapped and squealed and slapped. I don't know what's up with me today, I said. I'm sorry. The park was a half hour north of town. We found the campsite and stood a moment, looking at the water and then at the sky. At least the dreary weather meant we were relatively alone. He surveyed and selected a flat patch of mostly dead grass and unfurled the tent, which I'd borrowed and was baby blue and big. We eventually figured out its orientation and erected it. Is this the right rainfly? he asked as we tried to cinch down its elastic cords. I think so, I said. The color matched, but it didn't seem to be fitting. The whole thing must be warped, I said, and he agreed. I got on my knees and was trying to see whether the cord was catching when it had sprung from my grip, and I had collapsed on the grass. I heard him exclaim, Did it hit you in the face? He rushed to where I had collapsed on the grass. His mouth fell open. We have to get to the hospital. Really? I climbed to my feet. Yes, we have to get to the hospital right now. What about the stuff, the tent? I'll come back and get it later. I promise I'll come back and get it later. Come on, give me your keys. I handed them over and warily got into the car, too shocked to yet feel pain. Our camping trip is ruined. Our camping trip is ruined. 
We sped along the park's twisted lanes beneath big green trees. It was only when we got on the highway that I glimpsed in the mirror of what had become of my left eye. It looked like a red marble. I started to sob. Drizzle splattered fast on the windshield, and he clutched my hand. I had one hand over my eye and my head down, and as I whimpered, he gave loud updates as to our location, our proximity to the emergency room, all while clutching my other hand. He was a good man. I had known it all along. He was a good man. It was, even then I knew, the most authentic interaction we had ever had. I don't recall feeling panicked or even great pain. There was something about the extremity of this news, that either I was going to lose my eye, or I wasn't. This was either a big event, the night I lost my eye, or not. This is the David Bowie injury, one of the ophthalmologists said. Like me, David Bowie has blue eyes. On blue-eyed people, a slack black pupil is more noticeable than comparatively darker brown eyes. Bowie was punched in the face by a schoolmate wearing a ring. It was a fight over a girl. Still don't know what I was waiting for And my time was running wild in the Indian streets And every time I thought I... Except for when he did go back and get the tent, he was at the hospital the whole night in the lobby, or standing outside smoking. At one point, he filled a Nalgene with one of the beers I'd bought earlier and shared it, as if trying to retain some semblance of the fun we'd planned on having that evening. Many hours later, they prescribed me various eye drops and told me there was nothing to do to fix my eye per se, but I needed to sit upright in the dark for the next five days. Upright to let the blood drain out in the dark because of the photosensitivity, and I wasn't to leave my house for risk that something anything could happen. I'd walk into a tree branch. I'd duck from a frisbee. Anything, and the responsible vessel would begin bleeding again. The tiniest axe can raise the pressure inside an eye, especially an injured one. I was to rush to the hospital immediately if the bleeding began again. Or if you see a bright light that you know isn't real, a doctor said, because that means your optic nerve has detached. Okay, I said. It was late when we got to his house. He sat me on his bed and propped a bunch of pillows behind me. He undressed me. It wasn't smart to have sex, given that my eye might reburst, and yet at that moment we should have been in the tent, naked beneath a pattering drizzle. I held still and tried not to react. The next morning I walked cautiously down the graveled alleyway that connected our two homes. The sun shone. Locusts hum and gnats darted about the lawn. I climbed the fire escape and inside closed the blinds. I went to the bathroom and stared a long time at the disgusting thing. I sat on my sofa. I couldn't see from the middle of my field of vision to the left. I couldn't read. All I could do was blurrily watch TV. It grew hot. I didn't have AC. Friends called, others visited, and they were unable to mask their horror when they saw me. I talked only about him, about his heroism in getting me to the hospital, of staying there all night with me. He didn't visit that first day. He was too busy. He had planned to leave the next day to do archival work somewhere for a month. I didn't ask him to reconsider because I knew I was not someone for whom he changed plans.
He came over to say goodbye, curled up on my sofa with me, smelling of nutmeg. He was hungover and fell asleep with his mouth open. When he awoke, he touched my cheek, south of my red eye, its pupil big and lopsided as a lentil. They had said it may never retract entirely, the iris. In fact, it was likely I'd never look quite normal again, whatever that means. I've left a permanent mark on you, he said, and he loved this, I could tell. On a Monday afternoon in early September, he texted asking if I could meet up. Recently, and somewhat begrudgingly, he had started calling me his girlfriend. We had finally gotten out of town to the state fair, where we watched delightedly as retirees participated in a spelling bee and sang a duet about being in love with a live band. And one evening just a week before, he had laid me down flat-backed on his bed and kissed every speck of my skin, and yet there was something about this text. You aren't breaking up with me, are you? I asked as I walked up, employing the logic that asking this would ensure that he wasn't. His expression was just sad. I'm sorry, Sandy, is all he said. We were standing on a street corner next to a jewelry store. Are you serious? I asked. He nodded, said he never meant for things to be serious. I can't believe you're doing this, I said to him over and over again, because I couldn't. Because that he could opt out of this was preposterous. I had no such option. I insisted we talk about it. We sat on the picnic table in my backyard, picked at buckeye leaves and chain-smoked. The thing was, we got along so well. Maybe we were supposed to just be very good friends, Jerry and Elaine. We walked downtown, got hamburgers. He went out after without me, got really drunk, friends later reported, because he was upset we'd broken up. That didn't feel fair at all, I said. On the phone that night, nicotine manic, I told a friend I was totally fine with what was happening. We were just supposed to be very good friends. I cried for the next several months. I didn't stop seeing him. I went out of my way to go where he'd be. I went out of my way to avoid him and run into him anyway. He'd drink too much and come on to me. I'd drink too much and sleep with him and feel rotten for being the girl he was just sleeping with and then feel sick realizing that's all I ever was. I once left a bar where he'd been and crawled into his bed and when he awoke confused I pretended as if we'd gone home together and he believed me, I think. Sometimes we tried to be good. We made a standing date to get dinner, just dinner, each Wednesday, watch late-season baseball on television, and the whole time it stung like elastic snapping into your eye. He saw other women. He once had the gall to ask advice about restaurants in Minneapolis, where he was meeting up with one of them, and, smiling, I was so shocked at his cruelty, I told him he was fucking insane. My friends repeated to me all the things they didn't like about him. I acknowledged that they were correct, and yet I did not agree. Every time I went to see the ophthalmologist, they praised at how well my Bowie eye was healing. There's this melancholy song by a lilty Norwegian singer I'd taken to playing several dozen times a day. Its chorus goes. I was gonna love you till the end of all daytime And I was gonna keep all our secret signs and our lullabies I was made to believe that our love will grow old we were gonna live in a tree house and make babies And we were gonna bury our ex-lovers and their ghosts Baby, we were made of gold 
I played it on loops and wept. If I were in public, I'd have to go to the bathroom to weep. If I were at my house, I could just weep and not care that no one knew that I was listening to a sad song, pantsless and weeping, eating olives at my kitchen table. I was sitting at a cafe listening to the song on a Sunday afternoon when he texted and asked what I was up to, asked if I'd like to come over. I packed my bag immediately. I had no face to save. It was one of the last nice days of late fall. He was in his backyard at a white table with the times. I strolled up, my nonchalance intentional. Oh, hello, he said. I felt all of the things I knew I should no longer feel. Oh, hello, I said. He went inside and came back with a shaker and gin and prepared us two martinis. We shared the paper, occasionally looking up to comment on this thing or that. This was it. Whatever was happening, this was right. This was how I wanted to be when I was 30 and 40 and 70. I knew this. I realized how wrong this was, and yet somehow this moment, the rightness of it, the chance that through all this I could still be right, eclipsed everything. I got bold. What? I broke the silence. Would you say is the likelihood that we marry? He loved a question like this, a daring one, and this was the most daring thing I had ever asked him. He thought a moment. 35%, he said. The number hung. He extinguished a cigarette. The lawn was green and the table white. I love you, I said, which I actually hadn't said to him before. I know, he replied. He scooted his chair a bit closer to mine. We kissed and kissed. At some point, he started to cry. I am just so sad inside, he said, as if this explained anything. I know, I lied. We went inside and had brief sex one last time. We curled on the couch and watched Godzilla, the old one, I was very happy. The bugs had finally stopped churring, and that night was cool in the way that announces that next everything will be dead. That was Sandra Allen reading The Treehouse Song. Now to break from all my fiction podcast aspirations, I want to start with a speed round of just like quick questions that you'll answer really quickly, and then we're going to get deep. Dig it. Also joining us is Hollywood. Say hello, Holly. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So he was a redhead, right? Yeah. Do you think being redheaded had anything to do with it? No. Do you really sweat from your belly? Sure. Yeah. I sweat everywhere. But most, it's most notable coming from your torso. I mean, down my torso. The image was supposed to be like, starts at the armpit, goes down the torso. Uh, Maybe the image wasn't as clear as it could have been. No, it's good. Just curious if you had belly sweat. Probably. When you guys had sex after your eye surgery, was it? were you sitting upright the whole time? Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, going back to the sweat thing, it is Iowa summer. So everything is sweating all the time, just to be clear. And that's not just me. Were you on top for the upright sex or did he somehow have sex with uh, you while you're sitting upright? I was like just sitting. I was just like sitting upright. <laughs> did you really break into his apartment like that? Not break in. How did you get in when he was like? It's Iowa. There's not a lot of like safety stuff. I mean, we'd been hanging out. He'd, like, gone home, and then I was also at his house. But then how did you get into his house? You just, like, walk in the door. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> okay, now that I have all those questions out questions. of the way. <laughs> and now we can get to a real yeah. deep conversation. Oh, boy. So there was a 35% chance you guys were going to get married. It's been a while. Are you married? No. So this is the end of that story. Eventually, I left town. He left town. He has moved on with his life. I have moved on with my life. My goal in writing this wasn't to be like, oh, it could still work out between us. I kind of just wanted to capture the state of mind that I'd been in, which really did feel like such a fugue state, uh, something that I couldn't get out of this like completely not Un, just unrequited love that I was so certain was real because it was so real to me. And yet I think to him the whole time it was like not real. Um, and I, looking back on it, you know, sometime later, this was uh, several years ago, I wanted to be able to capture that mania because I think that a lot of us have been there and it's really easy to be like, bury that. But I think there's something really important in sort of acknowledging that this is a thing we do. Um so how long after the incident happened, how long after the relationship did you write this? Um, I've been working on this piece for many years. I probably started writing it several months after the events described, but I didn't publish it until just this last fall. So Because I, I think you do so effectively capture that, right, Holly? Like, I feel like I've been there, too, where I'm just, like, overthinking every single possible detail about a thing, and it exists more in my head than it actually exists in some ways. And that moment where you're standing in the aisle at the supermarket, and you're like, watermelon or cherries? Which is the way that will have the perfect weekend and he'll fall in love with me? Which one should I pick so everything goes right? It feels like that's a real place I've been so many times, and the reality is that, oh, I could pick either, and my eye's still going to get poked out. Because that's how every story ends, with, you know, eye injury. Your eye looks great now. Yeah, you look great. No, you can't tell. That That's one of that's one of the code. That actually used to be the ending of the piece. It was like, you can't tell for looking at me that I almost lost an eye. And then sometimes I'll say to people, ah, once I almost lost my eye. And people will be like, what? And what I, I guess, like, for me, that, I you know, in this piece, it's like a figure for heart heart breaking you know but I, I i think it is i think that like getting your heart really wrecked is akin to getting an organ nearly lost i i do think that's a very weird symmetry that well, i have you know the, the great thing about this is the mythology of odin from norse mythology right uh odin had to sacrifice his eyes for wisdom so when you see depictions of Odin in Norse mythology, he had sacrificed his own eyesight in order to be wise. 
So the symbology is just fantastic. I did not know this. You didn't know that, but you wrote the piece nevertheless, and there it is. I lived the experience and then wrote the piece. You lived it. And Isn't that cool? It's fantastic. I love when Norse mythology really comes just into happens this. happens. And the singer I'm quoting is Norwegian. Oh, God. <laughs> it all comes together. I did not know this. This is great. And I'm Norwegian, too, so. <laughs> you didn't know anything about Odin? I don't know about Odin, no. Why? He's the king of the Norse gods. I, He's like. Listen, I'm Norwegian in the way that Americans say they're from another country when they just mean I'm a white person in America. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first line of my dating profile. (laughs) I'm a white white person in America. I'm a white person in America. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really poor username selection, though. (laughs) I changed my username to Marxist and such. (laughs) Do you want people to check it out? I don't give a crap. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm changing mine too. <laughs> I hope so. I hope your boyfriend doesn't find it. <laughs> well, I did. I reactivated it so I could scope people out for a while, and it did not. Limiting my age range did not work for me. I still appeared in everyone's search results, even though I was only interested in 18 to 19 year old boys. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> That's really what I want. I'm really excited for after my first divorce when I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> Uh, is that a rule? Is that what, what you just said? I know a That's friend it. of a friend who's We can divorced. all be with 18 to 19-year-olds right now. You don't have to wait to get divorced. Dude, I am with a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. You don't know. I had a guy say to me <laughs> once, I had a guy say to me once that this is one of those quotes that like echoes in your brain until you're dead. He goes, he's from the South. He goes, Sandra, you'd make an excellent second wife. <laughs> And I was like, what on earth does that mean? Is that the new, like, compliment that we're supposed to take? You I know, couldn't tell what that clearly, was. We're clearly, neither, none of us, the three of us sitting in this room right now are ever going to be anybody's first starter wife, right? Oh! Like, when, sorry. I mean, does it offend you guys? We'll never, I don't, is that a, is that a reality? That's real. We're done. Sorry. We're, we're over the hill in terms of being a starter wife. So, like, it's the new compliment, like... Over the hill. Yeah. I have a lot of age insecurity right yes. now, so let's please roll <laughs> that on the back. horizon. Nope. <laughs> if you'd lost your eye, <laughs> how do you think the story would have gone That's differently? That's a great question. I actually haven't thought about that. Um, yeah, and not just this story, but all of your story. <laughs> yeah, everything would be different. I think that that was... What I mean, that's what I'm trying to describe is sort of like standing on the brink of some huge change in reality, which I think is also like a lot of love stories or, or like a story about desiring love is like I'm standing on the brink of a huge changed reality. Like this was a man who absolutely did something to who I was and who made me very excited to um, be alive and who I when I imagined what it would be like to be with him, I was like, wazinga, I was totally pro. And so to feel that was extremely exciting and gratifying. And I just, I did really, I mean, it's it's easy to sort of put down the proverbial watermelon and cherries, but like that really felt like I was that close to sort of cracking something major. Like I say in the piece, like I'd been in love before, or at least, you know, I'd said, I love you to, to men, or I'd been in relationships that were significant, but this was like, this felt so much bigger. And and that's just feelings, right? That's just feelings. But at the time, it was so powerful that I was like, I couldn't not act on this. I was I was going to humiliate myself, it turned out, because that feeling felt so extreme. And in the same way, like, I don't know, like, either you're going to lose your eye or you're not. So, like, you're about, like, I was about to be a woman who had one eye. 
Like would, that was. Would a, you have adopted an eye patch? I don't know what I would have done. I I I didn't get there thought wise. I mean, I think there was an amount of like shock, um, that was just kind of ruling the whole thing. And then the fact that there isn't really a medical remedy, um, that the remedy was just sit, and wait, um, which I also kind of find poetic, but. That, yeah, I could have been someone who didn't have an eye and, like, I'm sure I would have figured it out. Um, And the same way I could have been someone who was with this man. And I don't know that it would have been a good thing per se, but it was a thing that almost happened, at least in my own mind. And the reality is neither of them did. I have two eyes and he and I aren't together and I'm pretty happy about both of those things. This man didn't see me as someone who was Ugh. as important to him as he was to me. And that was just the fact the whole time. And that's the bitch of love, right? But 35%. 35%. That's a high chance. That's I don't a, think I've ever gone to 35% with anyone. I've, I've been <laughs> with men for years who probably wouldn't give me 35%. I also think he was a cruel bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I do think he got off on how into him I was. Do you know what I mean? I do think there was an amount of toying with the whole situation. When I read this story, something that goes through my mind is like, I'm afraid of looking gross for you. Like the idea that I could ever suffer an injury in front of a potential partner is so like wears on me in some weird way. But that, I mean, obviously you were in a crisis, so it wasn't something that you were afraid of. Oh no, not at all. And I, I, I I think if anything, it had the opposite effect, like because I was vulnerable and because he was like a good enough person to behave appropriately in the situation. I mean, it caused him to do the right thing, um, this event. And therefore, I was like gratified. I was like, oh, you are a better person than all of my friends are telling me you are. No. Yeah. Well, I know. You gave him so much credit in that story for being decent human being. Like you gave him so many brownie points. No, I know. Oh my God. He didn't like bring me to the hospital, then drop me off and run away. But I think that's exactly it. Because at the time, that's how I felt. No, of course, in retrospect, I realized the levels that these things are very fucked up. But I mean, at the time I was so absolutely crazy that I that was enough. The idea that he behaved as would be becoming of a regular human person with a soul. I was like, he's a good person. I'm right about everything. And that is like, I, that, I think that's significant that you can mistake something like that for someone liking you back. Yeah, that's that's we've we've talked about this on the show all the time. It's that women are constantly giving men brownie points for being decent human beings. Yeah. Yeah. He drove me to the hospital when I had a hospital (laughs) when I had a hospital worthy injury. He drove me to the hospital. Right. That man a medal. But then then I mean, I've included the details that aren't flattering in there, like the fact that the next day he didn't hang out with me. And then when he shows up, he's hungover. Like I'm including that stuff because I want you to know that this was the reality I was dealing with him being like, oh, I'm so busy today. And then he comes over and he's hungover. And I'm like, oh, of course, you're busy right I see that um and the amount of like slack you give that lead you know where you're like ah yeah no I get it uh even though you're like no I I, I'm worth more than this I mean the answer is like the person I am now is hardened by this experience I think to a degree I mean obviously I'm still a fool and a romantic and you know we all make bad decisions sometimes and I think we also are at the mercy of the violent sea that is other people we meet. But I do think this experience caused me to grow the skill of 
no, fuck you, and walking away from a situation that you know is toxic. Um, I don't think I would have uh, stayed in this for six months now. Wait, what? Come again? I mean, if at, at the age that I am, this, I mean, because this was like a six-month thing, right? Really? Yeah, it was Easter to end of fall. Wow. And so I, I don't, I wouldn't have stayed with this drama for all that time. I think part of it, though, was Iowa City. It was that aforementioned tiny little pool where it's not like I didn't, I mean, I'm sure there might have been other people I was interested in or whatever, or it might have been, but it was mostly like he was always around. It was very hard to escape his presence in my social group. And at the same, we just went to all the same things and we did all the same stuff. And so when there's somebody who has his talons in your skin and you are at a bookstore and he's there, what are you going to do? Well, obviously. (laughs) Also, he set himself up for the girlfriend experience with you. Like, even if you guys were jokingly calling each other sweetie, like, still in your heart of hearts, you're like, oh, he just wants a way to call me sweetie. Or like you and you guys went through this traumatic experience together. You would go on camping trips. I just I'm getting clues that there's like a that you guys create like an emotional intimacy when you're together, even if it's only been a short amount of time that you've known each other. Oh, I mean, I I totally I think that he and I did have a really big connection. I would totally maintain that still. Um, We had personalities that 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 ran in the same direction and it was of for me at least a deeply gratifying experience I think for him maybe it wasn't what he wanted out of a romantic partner ultimately which was a really painful thing to sort of like acknowledge but yeah but doesn't stuff like that like help you ignore the warning signs totally yeah we're maniacs together um I just came out with the shorter stick I just feel like this is such a constant thing and every time I've been hurt where there are these like incredibly obvious warning signs that are just all over the place where people are coming to you and giving you information and there's just nothing that can knock you out of that path. Well, wait, didn't you say, I? and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he give you like a email kind of like, like I don't want anything serious, like this isn't going anywhere. There was no like formal declaration of I am not interested in anything serious. Uh, I mean, I, I I think that it was uh, a constant thing. I think I was constantly being told by him in all sorts of various ways that he didn't want. I mean, in, this is especially in retrospect. Like, if he'd wanted me to be his girlfriend, it would have been like, done, right? Like, it would have been very simple. Like, I it, the fact that um, it felt like a war was the problem, right? Wait, can you go, like, really tell us more about that? Like, what did it feel like that it was a war? Like I was constantly having to win tiny bits of territory on a front and that there was this odd sense that eventually I will achieve the fort and we will take the territory. You know what I mean? Like that's what this relationship felt like. So every little thing was, you know, if if he was like he moved into a new place and I was like, oh, you bought um, uh tacky paper and you want to line your drawers I can do that for you and he was like oh no please don't and I was like I can he was like thank you and went and sat in the next room and I was like cutting these strips of tacky paper and putting them in these drawers and I was like ha ha 
I have gained some territory, which it's like I had a good family friend who was on the phone with me a lot kind of through the humiliating fall that was this breakup. And he just said to me, I was like, oh, it's so close to being so good. And he was like, darling, it's not. He's like, if that were the case, we wouldn't be talking every day. He's like, this relationship is not working. That's the problem. He like, I kept being like, oh, it's really working, except for the fact that it's not. And he'd be like, that's a problem. And, and you're like, but wait, every time he opens his drawers, he'll have to think about me. I was just like, he let me do that, you know? <laughs> Did he let you do his dishes, too? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, and he let me suck his dick, so it's <gasps> real, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a, I think maybe that's a woman thing or like a kind of young thing or just... Uh, whatever thing I, I I was I was totally trapped in this logic that was absurd um, and it took a while it took a long while to start to snap out of it and and the transition period from being in it and you know obviously I'm like a headstrong intelligent woman and I consider myself to be like emotionally intelligent all this stuff that transition changing gears from that into sort of recognizing my own foolishness in a way that was like emotionally honest with myself Ooh, that just involved a lot of crying. I was just sort of a little puddle for like a, a while as I sort of transitioned out of that and then felt f- absurd that this relationship that I knew on paper had been a failure the whole time had brought me to my knees to such an extent, which I think actually happens, right? That you have a relationship that's not on paper as significant as other relationships and yet it levels you more than it should. And I think that's because it struck you in the eye. Literally. Yeah. I, I think that that I think that happens to people where something about some particular interaction just hits you at that right exact spot. A treehouse story. <laughs> so tr- <laughs> oh no. No, that's perfect. Is that's our like conversation awesome negative? <laughs> I love imagery like that because there's just so much that's the english major like 11th grade english class like oh the eye thing is like symbolic yeah i probably have resisted going that way because of that exactly you don't want to go for the obvious symbology you want to avoid the especially when you're writing like a literary essay you can't let the easy symbols stand no you have to just let the beautiful gross details of the story be themselves i mean i like i think there's a lot in this i mean and obviously all these details are chosen of the details that happened like these aren't lies they're selections but like the fact that the last thing we ever did was watch godzilla i i just like like it's just this image of just a destructive thing walking around and there's just dying bugs and me being like i'm so happy and like what happened the next day after that was of course I was like ho hum going to his house we are dating again and he was like what are you doing here and I was like "Ah!" and I had to like walk away and be like okay that's it that's it that's it delete his number delete his number go to my house be like all right cool fine that's okay and then like cry a lot you know it's not neat it's not neat or pretty um and uh I think in New York it would be easier to get rid of someone like this you know, because you could actually delete them from your phone and, like, not talk to them anymore. And the chances that you run into them would be pretty slim. Wait, Sandy, where did you go to college? Brown. Oh, that's kind of yeah. similar to Wesling. See, Wesling was like that. Like, you would never be able to escape somebody. No, but you can even be in the middle of New York City and, like, have the hardest 
and still run into the person you most want don't want to run into. Yeah, I've had it happen. But at the same time, in New York City, you could have people you really want to see and you never get to see them. Yep, so. have had that happen too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think the only reason I didn't experience that in college is I was really good in college at never dating college students. Really? Yeah. So I think that that. I think that's why I think Iowa City was that though effectively for and I, I'm not the only one of my friends who I think sort of got in a, a really intense feedback loop with another human like this when they were in Iowa City so but a small ecosystem I think that's what it you know is and then when you're in San Francisco or New York or whatever you're in a larger ecosystem and I think it's like there's there's benefits to that and there's like definitely downsides to that like if you meet somebody you can have no one in common with them and so you might not know if they're a piece of shit or if they're dating lots of other people or whatever like they could be concealing an enormous lie in a smaller ecosystem iowa city or a college campus or whatever like it would be much harder for a potential partner to be just hiding some huge fact about himself from you because other people will be like, oh, that guy, he's an asshole. Uh, he's hurt lots of my friends. And you'd be like, ha not me. He won't do the same to me, which is not a very good move. <laughs> um, and actually, like a line that I was kind of obsessed with in this story was he was chatting with some woman. And this like you inserted this like small element of jealousy to show like how you're feeling protective of him. And an upcoming episode we have is kind of talking about how we could almost use guys as ways of meeting potential female friends <laughs> instead of using them as meeting women to hate. Mm-hmm. You know, like the idea that he was talking to some woman instead of like a, few, a woman who I'd like to get to know and become friends with is like an interesting. In this it. particular yeah. case, this was just some woman like she wasn't some romantic partner of his but in your mind she was huge well uh, yeah in this in this scene absolutely no actually this this man in reality had an ex-girlfriend who lived in town and for a long time and they had dated for i think a, a good amount of time and then they had this sort of like close friendship that i was really nervous about always as i was in my mania and um i i didn't really know her and it freaked me all out and then in subsequent months and years she and i became friends and um, we're definitely we're, we totally get along and she and this guy I think are still pretty good friends like they definitely saved much more face or had much more face to save than he and I did or do like I don't interact with him at all but um, yeah that was a funny realization I was like oh you're really cool cool you know like that's <laughs> but good it takes to know a while to see her as her oh yeah I mean I think that that's a growing up thing too you know where you spot that, yeah, you have a, a drive toward being jealous or indignant about the existence of other women in a man's life, especially if you feel unsure footing. I think unsure footing is a really good way to make other women look like threats. Um, but if if you have faith in a relationship with a man, then other women shouldn't feel like such a huge problem. Other women who he's declared are no longer at the fore, you know. But that's like the story of our early 20s is that we're constantly in this feeling like we are so disposable. We are so easily thrown away that every woman is a threat. Like every woman you come into contact, no matter how awesome she is and how cool she could be and how 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 what a role she could fill in your life. Like that's going to be my bestie. That's going to be the girl that I text at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning and be like, yo, we're getting brunch. <laughs> you know, like that's her but you can't see her as anything except competition because that's just how competitive dating is in your early and mid-20s. That's what it feels like. 
That's interesting. There are only so many guys in Iowa City. Really? <laughs> Jeez, like four? And I think, well, I, I, I like, he wasn't a pick that anyone was going for, too. What? Yeah. The redhead thing? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but in your mind, he was hot stuff. I mean, he was so. Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Conan O'Brien. No, I thought I'd made a sort of, like, great esoteric pick, you know? We um, all think that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. We all think we're going for that, like, guy that no one else wants. Let me tell you, my boyfriend in college... <laughs> I thought I was going for the esoteric pick myself. I really did. Everyone was like, I was, I was like, he's not that hot. You could go, you could do better. I'm like, what? I think he's hot. Still dumb me. Yeah. <laughs> to give some more context, the best part of the story is that he used to remind me of Jason Biggs mm. so much. American Pie Jason Biggs. And then we broke up, and this was like, what, six years ago? But then... Orange is the New Black comes out, and Jason Biggs is the m- most monstrous boyfriend character you could ever imagine. So I'm watching that show. and Husband. Just be- Hus- no, fiance. Fiance? They don't marry. Don't they get married? No. Fiance. Fiance. And he's the most horrific character ever. You just, like, hate the guy. Oh, and I was like, so- yeah! <laughs> he's redeemed. A, he's a weenus. He's a weenus! Yeah. I like that word. He's a He's a corn dog weenus. Yeah. I still don't remember what your boyfriend looked like. Like, like Jason oh, Biggs. I just don't even. I He did not leave a mark on anyone. No, he didn't. Anywhere. He, it was my esoteric pick that no one else thought was significant. <laughs> and feel but no one made it to 35%. So congratulations. Yeah. Oh, I mean, but it's meaningless if the answer is actually married. 65. Uh, but I think the thing is, like, th- this shit's important. You're supposed to. You're supposed to live stuff like this. I think you should come out of it a, a more intelligent and self-preservationist and self-loving human being. And I think that, like, maybe other people come out of the womb kind of, like, respecting themselves more. But I, I sure didn't. And I think that this sort of thing is is important to experience and to, like, uh, can't, you know, set down and type because this is this is who makes you an adult. This sort of experience makes you an adult. And uh, you'll be a better person because you went through crap. I, I do believe that firmly. That's one of my only beliefs about all this crap is that I do think you end up a better person when you do it. This is a question I had, but I felt like really unfair asking it. Do it. So between the end of this relationship and the confident, happy person you are right now, like what happened? <laughs> so like, how did you learn all the things you're supposed to learn between 24 and 27? Um... I think now this, that we know your age. Yeah, I think this relationship was somewhat important in me sitting down with myself uh, and a therapist. That's always good. Everyone, oh, well, that was everyone, the missing, <laughs> There's the missing piece. Yeah. I was in therapy this whole time. This whole relationship I was in therapy. I don't know what my therapist possibly thought of me because we had great grad school therapy coverage, but uh, which I think should, is great because all grad students should just go to therapy every fucking day. We should, yeah. but... Like, <laughs> But, yeah, even more so for PhDs. Like, an MFA, this was, like, a three-year affair. Like, I can't even imagine what y'all are going through. But, um, I don't know, further age, further other other relationship, um, other relationships, uh, uh, reflection. Uh, I, this is tacky. I think writing shit down probably helps, too. I mean, l- much later. Reconceiving of the experience as a piece of art as opposed to 
uh, just experience. Right. So you'd recommend that to other women who have gone through no, something similar? No, I think most, no. I, I, I would say just like go to therapy, try to be a good person uh, and talk to your friends and try to be honest with people about what you're doing. I mean, I was lying to myself and to a lot of other people as I was going through this experience, obviously. How many years do you think you spent like still kind of missing him or wondering if he was on the table? Mm, probably a year after where this story ends, if I'm speaking very honestly. And I was in another relationship for a majority of that. Here? In Iowa, then eventually here. Ooh. Sounds like there's a lot of political intrigue that goes on when you switch relationships in Iowa. In this case, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is great. We're so happy you're with someone who's not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All of my friends were like, yay. Oh, yeah, that's my last piece of advice. If everyone's coming at you and telling you don't date this guy, should you date him anyways? No, you should not. Yeah, if all of your <laughs> friends if all of your friends are like, we know him, he's no good, you should probably not do that. Or at least investigate it. Don't brrush it off. Yeah, like, don't. Like, oh, <laughs> 40% of my friends are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how do you investigate that? You ask around. You'd be like, dude, what what, what, are, what are you... Okay, so you're not the first person who said this. What do you mean he's an asshole? Like, what are some concrete examples of him being an asshole to women that I need to be looking out for? And yeah. then I, I feel like when you actually... And then you report it back to the guy and see if he has, can defend no, himself. No, you don't. No, Andrew, no. No? <laughs> no, because he's going to lie. He's like, oh, that, that girl's crazy. Yeah, it's really easy to believe that girls are crazy. Girls are crazy. In this case, it wasn't even girls saying this about him who'd been involved with him at all. It was just people who knew him socially being like, oh, he's a train wreck. Don't get involved. And me being like, I know better. Wait, hold on. Hold on. All right. I'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I am the magic glue. It all starts with the cabinets. Yeah, if I put that tacky paper down. I'm going to put that tacky paper down. No, let me ask this question. Let me ask this question. So... Were there any guys that told you this? Probably, sure. Because I feel like I trust guys more than women when it comes to other guys. Because they know, because like the dickhead guys tell each other, other guys, important information about their love lives that they don't tell their female friends. Oh my God. Yes. You and think so? Yeah. I know. I don't think guys say stuff to each other about themselves. <laughs> so my friend was just at a bachelor party and there was a guy there who was like, everyone, let's get a prostitute. If we pay her, she'll do anything. Anything. She'll have to do whatever we tell her to do. And wait, wait, let me guess. All the other guys were like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. All the other guys were like, what? No. 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 I just want another Bud Light. Let's like. Let's, like, do this Seriously, thing. don't you know she has, like, a background? And he's like, like, no, 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 seriously, guys. He kept bringing up the whole night. Let's just get a prostitute. She'll do anything. And all the other guys are like, what is wrong with him? Right. And then you and then you end up, like, dating him. One of those guys at that bachelor party is going to say, what? You can't date that guy. That guy no, don't. And they won't tell you why. They'll just be like, because there's, like, some trust there. They'll just be like... You really don't want to be involved with this guy. Seriously, you don't want to be with this guy. In this case, I knew everything that he'd done in full because it's Iowa City. So, I, but I just ignored it all. I think that that's that's a thing that can happen too. Is your? I mean, I I think I've I've def, this is a recurring theme in my my work, uh, which is just like being told the here's the enormous problem uh, with the man and me being like. I will deal with that. You know, like not not seeing the enormous problem as a reason to back out, but being like, all right, these are my given circumstances. I will forge ahead, you know. <laughs> 
which I'm sure is not the instinct of 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 some people. No, it is the certainly that's the problem. is my it's our instinct. Certainly is my instinct. <laughs> that's exactly the problem. <laughs> it's, it's all our instinct. I will fix him. It actually feels like easier to be with someone who's flawed than someone who everyone says is perfect. Because I think we, we're so aware of our own flaws. I have never had that experience, but I'm sure that must be nice. Yeah, seriously, Andrea, <laughs> where are these men that are like, oh, he's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. <laughs> he's going to run for senator. <laughs> you you wait. You're going to be the president's wife. <laughs> Who's that guy? He might be out we there. Don't, no, we don't know that guy. You and I do not know that guy. The guy really? who told me I would make an excellent second wife is going to be a senator. I will put that out there. <laughs> make a great second Second senatorial one. Yeah. Mm. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> Better than being the first wife of some schlub. Oh, guys, let's reconvene right here in this room as we prepare to to become someone's second wife and have this conversation <laughs> all over again. We're all going to be someone's second wife, really. Holly called it. I called it. <laughs> She's got data. I'm never going to be the first wife of anybody. There's at least a 35% chance of this. At least 35 <sighs> Thank you guys so much for doing this, and uh, we should keep talking and hanging out. Thanks, Andrew. Sleepover. That's it for today's show. I'm Andrea Slenzi. My intern is Erin and Hopkins. I am looking for suggestions for pledge drive premiums. The WFMU Marathon's going to be coming up soon. Do you want stickers? Underwear? T-shirts? More tote bags? I don't know. Tell me on Twitter at Andrea Salenzi. And uh, there you can also find out how to follow our guests, Hollywood and Sandra Allen. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and online, WFMU.org. And when the day was done, I figured I had already lost from the from the start I was gonna love you till the end of all day time And I was gonna keep all our secret signs on our love bus I was made to believe that our love would grow old We were gonna live in a tree house and make babies And we were gonna bury our ex-lovers and their ghosts 